Welcome to Book Rising, a podcast by the Radical Books Collective. Welcome. We are back with our eighth episode of the Radical Publishing Futures series. I'm Meg Ehrenberg, and today we are featuring Restless Books, the nine-year-old New York-based publisher of international literature. Restless Books has published over 100 titles from more than 40 countries around the world, including novels, memoirs, essay and short story collections, multilingual poetry books and graphic novels, and many of them are translations from other languages. Here in the studio to talk with me today is Nathan Rostron, who is editorial and marketing director for the press. Prior to joining Restless Books, Nathan helped to launch the startup bookish.com and was an editor at Little Brown and Company. He is also on the board of the Global Literature and Libraries Initiative and the advisory committee at LitHub. Welcome to Book Rising, Nathan. Thank you so much. It's great to have you here. Nathan, could you start by telling us about the founding story of Restless? Is there a story behind the name? Sure. Uh, Restless Books started in 2013, um, as you said, as a publisher of international literature. Um, the, the founding mission was to kind of counter um, the parochial trends in American publishing and in American culture in general, um, where you know, especially at that time, although I do think it's changing with Restless and other publishers focusing more and more on international books, books in translation, uh, books by uh, uh, voices of color, uh, which has been wonderful to see. But, you know, a decade ago, that wasn't really the case. And uh, so Restless wanted to be a different kind of publisher that looked outward instead of looking inward. Um, and we discovered, of course, that there is an enormous wealth of amazing things being written and published all around the world. And um, in terms of acquiring the books, it was kind of easy because there was so much out there. It was the, the hardest part about bringing new books into the publishing company was just choosing among the huge array of books at our disposal that had never been translated into English. Um, when we started, you know, in that very scrappy, startup-y way, uh, it began as an ebook publisher. Um, at that time, uh, about nine years ago, uh, it was kind of peak ebook freakout. <laughs> everyone was, everyone in book publishing was wondering, oh my gosh, are ebooks going to replace print books? Are there even going to be bookstores anymore? Will people even remember how to turn the pages of a book? Is it only going to be screens? Um, and you know, that was. That was happening at the moment we wanted to start the company, and we decided to explore. Well, let's try ebook publishing. And um, on the one hand, it was great because overhead was low. There was no, there was much less production infrastructure, physical infrastructure that had to happen. Of course, because everything was digital, and so in a way, it was cheaper and easier. But as um, I began with the company. Um, in 2014, it just seemed like it was really limiting in terms of how, who was who was being reached by our books, who was discovering books in bookstores. Also, ebooks, even at that time, in like the high season of ebook mania, um, very few of them were being reviewed uh, in you know traditional media outlets and. 
And we just heard from readers, you know, when is the print version coming out? Um, you know, it, it turns out that um, doing ebook publishing was actually limiting rather than expanding our audience. Um, and so we decided to become a, a traditional print publisher and started printing books. Um, of course, in addition to doing ebooks as well uh, in 2015. And since 2015, we've published about a uh, hundred titles um, and they've come from 40 countries. They've been translated from nearly 30 different languages and that number is always growing. Oh, and you asked about the name. Uh, so <laughs> restlessness, we kind of define as just, um, you know, not being content with what's familiar and what's usual. We're restless for new perspectives, for new voices, to travel, to explore, to discover. Great. Um, since you, you mentioned that there's just a, an embarrassment of riches in terms of yeah. <laughs> books to choose from, but I'm just curious, I mean, how, how do you narrow, narrow that down? Are your books pitched by translators? Do you have editors who are yeah. reading in, in languages other than English? Um, how, what's the process for, for how you find, narrow down on what those titles are that you're gonna um, publish? Well, part of it is very traditional. Um, we are sent submissions by literary agents, by uh, other international publishers, the foreign rights departments at those publishing houses um, that are trying to sell the English language rights to the books they're already publishing. But a huge part of it for us is relying on translators themselves. Um, translators uh, have a really strong tight-knit community. They talk to each other. They share projects with each other. They're always in conversation about which publishers are publishing which kinds of books. So uh, more often than not, we'll get a translator who has become interested in a project. And they're also the, the experts, you know, they know a translator, you know, a Thai translator who lives in Bangkok is gonna know so much more about Thai literature and what's happening uh, than we ever possibly could. And then you multiply that by all the countries of the world so we're, we're really grateful to have a really strong network of translators who have their ear to the ground, who are sending us projects and also tipping us off to other things we might wanna pursue. And then another big uh, program for us is our Immigrant Writing Prize. So in 2015, um, and this was kind of, you know, Trump was around in 2015, it was kind of before, anyone really took him seriously, but those drumbeats of uh, xenophobia and anti-immigration, all of that was, you know, it was audible in the distance. And we decided to um, take a stand and invest in immigrant literature. And so we started the Restless Books Prize for New Immigrant Writing. And it's an annual prize that awards $10,000 and publication to a first generation debut author. And so we've done, we've awarded uh, six of these so far. We're about to award our seventh and we switch every year between fiction and nonfiction. So in, in addition to receiving submissions from agents and publishers and translators, we're also inviting submissions to this prize. And that's a very important part of our publishing program. Um, we usually don't accept unsolicited submissions from authors themselves, but um, we always welcome submissions from translators. Excellent. So have any of those writers uh, 
winners of the of the New Immigrant Writing Prize come back and published a second a second novel with you, or is it still a little young for that? For that oh, we're, we're hoping they will. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it, a debut novel is a little bit of that first album problem, you know, where you put all of your life and all of your experience and all of this hard work and into the book. And then, and then you have to write another one. So, <laughs> um, you know, we're hoping that some of our early winners, when they finish their follow-up projects, and I know they're working on them, uh, that they will send them to us and we can continue to publish. Um, it is a great pleasure when you can continue to publish an author and help to grow their presence um, uh, among American readers. Yeah. And also, I should say, English language readers around the world. We have a much bigger audience than just this country. Right. Yeah. Well, how, how would you characterize the Restless Books reader? Uh, I think a Restless reader is someone who, like us, like is impatient with the same old thing um, with whatever the cultural mainstream is offering up. Um, they are curious about the world. They are not content that to, you know, hold to the belief that the thing, the way things are done here is the best way. And we have the only interesting lives. I think people are naturally interested in other lives and other stories. And um, so those readers, you know, I think they shop at their local indie bookstores, um, God bless them. Uh, they they travel. They um, you know they discover us through word of mouth, um, through maybe their local library, or um, maybe they come across our website. But um, you know, I think it's just I think they're real readers. You know, um, if you, you if you have an avid reader in your life, you know that you know. There's that, there's that pressure and worry that happens when you start to approach the end of a book and you're always looking for the next read because you could never be without a book. And um, I think we're able to offer those, that, that hunger, those readers that have that hunger, we're able to offer them something really exciting. You know, like we, we published the first novel from Madagascar ever to be translated into English. And so for a certain kind of writer or reader, forgive me, um, for a certain kind of reader, that idea that you could read the first thing from this country that has ever been translated is just so compelling and exciting. Could you say something about um, about book clubs? Obviously, at Radical Books Collective, we're always uh, <laughs> we're pretty book club focused, um, and I know that yeah. Restless Books has like a readers club of some kind, and then you also offer downloadable guides on on a number of your titles for you know. Uh, for reading groups to use. So I'm just wondering what kind of role you think book clubs play in, in publishing today? Well, there's such a huge flowering of them recently, especially through podcasts. Um, you know, yeah. I think more and more are cropping up every day and it's such a brilliant way to reach readers, um, you know, who are, who all share common interests, but maybe they don't all happen to know each other from the same neighborhood or wherever they happen to live. And um, so starting a podcast, starting an online reading group is just a superb way to kind of come together to share ideas and thoughts, to read together, to discuss books and discover new books. Um, you know, podcasts are anything but a monolith. There's such a huge array of them and an array of approaches 
So I, I, um, I wanted to put those reading group guides up on the website just to help podcasts discover us, you know, like um, podcasts, I should say, and book clubs. And, you know, a book club could be run at a library. It could be run, you know, just, you know, a local, um, you know, community who wants to read together in a very traditional way. It could be um, online. There's no there's no kind of monolithic list of book clubs, kind of like we have with our, when we're doing marketing, we're always thinking about, okay, so who are the, who are the 120 booksellers that we're gonna be sending galleys to? Who are the 120 uh, book reviewers and critics and media folks that we wanna send an early review copy of our book to, to make sure they review it. But there's not that kind of list with book clubs necessarily, or at least I haven't come up with one <laughs> so uh you know for me it's just you know make us as discoverable as possible encourage our authors to open themselves to you know calling into book clubs uh we have several authors who do this on a regular basis and i think um once they start doing that um you know if an author calls into a book club or appears on a podcast then more invitations follow so in that way book clubs are a wonderful kind of generative network of their own because book clubs foster discovery of, of other book clubs, I think. Right, right. Um, since you mentioned uh, the, the other side of the marketing process to booksellers and so forth, I wanted to ask you your, your take on the domination of huge <laughs> corporate structures like, uh, like Amazon and, and Barnes and Noble. Well, you know, as long as we live in a capitalist country, Amazon is going to be dominant and it's going to be basically impossible to fight. Um, I do know there's a publisher called Or Books or OR Books. I don't know if you talked to them recently, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they, I admire them so much for their complete anti-Amazon stance. Like their books, at least the last time I talked to Colin Robinson, the publisher, um, you know, he told me their books are not even available for sale on Amazon. Um, I think it's, it's, a, it's a process of education um, and informing our readers about other, not only about the importance of supporting the community of authors and the community of readers and publishers that um, are supported by bookstores, but helping to understand like what it means for an author when, you know, someone buys a cheap copy of their book on Amazon versus what it means when someone buys, yes, inevitably pays a little bit more money uh, at a local bookstore. But that means that you are directly supporting a writer. If you're, if you want to read more books, you have to support the people who are writing them and also the publishers who are publishing them. And so I think bookshop.org has done a tremendous job of beginning to educate uh, the reading public just about what, it, about what is actually happening when you buy a book on, on Amazon and also providing a really easy and solid alternative, you know, like the difference you're going to pay between getting a book on Amazon and getting a book at a bookstore or on bookshop, you know, it could be like up to five bucks a book. And that seems like, it's a really meaningful 
impact on your pocketbook. And for sure it is. I mean, I definitely have to limit my own book buying. But when you think of it in terms of, you know, do you donate to any groups that you care about? You know, do you, are you making contributions to the ACLU or Planned Parenthood? Um, if you're a reader, why aren't you making contributions to writers themselves by supporting their work, by paying a little bit more money, by, um, you know, helping to, uh, helping the community of readers and booksellers out there um, continue their great work and make sure that you continue to have books to read. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, right? We don't often talk about it in terms of the benefit to the author, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, there are certain advantages, certainly, I think, from an author's perspective to, to the kind of reach of, of a seller like Amazon. Um, but when we think about sort of at the network level, um, you know, what it means to have a thriving book selling culture, yeah. to have, uh, you know, book uh, and reading communities that, that are really fostered by, by indie um, small, <laughs> small bookshops, you know, yeah. as we were talking about book clubs and that kind of thing. Um, and to get really technical about it, I mean, <laughs> not only, you know, like authors get paid, you know, a percentage royalty on the sale of a book. So that means that if a book gets sold for less money, often they're getting less return. And because Amazon is such a behemoth, they can set whatever terms they want. So it, it's a pretty basic bad deal. <laughs> right. uh, and I think it ends up being a bad deal for readers too. You know, like if Amazon makes it that only, you know, super commercial schlocky books are going to get published because publishers are desperate to turn a profit because those smaller, more indie, more literary books can't, you know, can't earn them a profit. They're going to focus on the stock. And, you know, if you care about good books, buy them at a bookstore. Yeah, yeah. So I, I um, that kind of leads me to my next question. But, you know, as far, as far as you're concerned, what what would have to change, you know, at the larger cultural level for, for independent, radical, and non-corporate publishing to thrive in the U.S. And, and, and more broadly worldwide? Well, I think you're already seeing it. I mean, in the time that Restless has been around, um, dozens of indie publishers have cropped up. Um, some of them, like Restless, are nonprofits. And so, uh, you know, despite Trump's effort to defund the NEA, um, you know, they're actually getting supported by the government. They're getting, if New York publishers, a lot of, a lot of them are getting supported by NISCA, the New York State Council for the Arts. Um, and so you're all already seeing this proliferation of indie publishers. And I think part of it is, you know, you just see that it's possible. Um, and I think as we get more and more and more online, you know, especially with the pandemic, I think w one remarkable thing to see has been that bookstores have actually thrived in mm. recent years. And now that the pandemic is receding, I think people are kind of rediscovering the value of community culture, you know? Like, do you, do you enjoy browsing at a bookstore? Um, or do you like looking at Amazon's, by the way, Amazon, can you think of a website that is uglier to look at? It's just, <laughs> it's shocking to me like the most powerful company in the world, it is just bonkers how ugly and dumb their website is. Anyway, 
Um, that's another, <laughs> that's another topic. Um, but so, yeah, I think it's already happening to ex an extent. Um, you know, it's been amusing to me, darkly amusing to see kind of the, the Penguin Random House imprints kind of chasing after that kind of indie juice a little bit. You know, you see a lot of, um, it's wonderful. I shouldn't, I shouldn't denigrate it, uh, to see PRH you know, pursue books and translation, you know, there's the big deal made out of the most recent Olga Tokarczuk book, The Books of Jacob, that thousand page, super challenging book translated brilliantly by Jennifer Croft. Um, they got a really big, splashy publication. So I think, I think, in fact, you know, that when you see the the big corporate publishers, you know, go after what the indie publishers are doing, it's actually good for everyone, I think. It's because it's maybe, you know, if, if they can publish, if they can print 20,000 copies of the books of Jacob or more, I have no idea what the print run was. And you can turn the readers of more commercial books into readers of books in translation that are of high literary value. Then maybe those readers will then, you know, come to Restless Books. They'll go to Deep Vellum Books or Grey Wolf or, you know, the dozens of other wonderful independent publishers that are publishing these good books. Right. It's like mainstreaming international yeah. literature. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so will you uh, tell us about a, a book or two that's new at Restless Books that we should be sure to have an eye out for? Sure. Um, you know, I, I love... I kind of look after the um, the immigrant writing uh, prize winners and authors um, because they are debut writers, meaning they haven't, this is the first book they've ever published. Those books kind of require a little bit more of an editorial guiding hand and editing books has always been my, you know, my guiding passion in this job. And so it's been a delight to work with these brilliant, but, still relatively unpracticed writers and helping them to shape their books into the best they can be. So one recent book I worked on that we published the hardcover of last year, and we just now published the paperback this year is Anti-Man by Rajiv Mohabir. Um, Rajiv, uh, this is a memoir, and uh, the subtitle is actually a hybrid memoir. So. Rajiv is a queer poet. Um, his family is uh, Indo-Guyanese. So uh, his family of Indi Indian descent uh, were indentured laborers on Guyanese sugar plantations. And then they moved to London and then they immigrated to Central Florida, which oh, wow. as, a, as a queer brown man uh, was not the happiest place to be. But it kind of... It was kind of the crucible where Rajiv like shaped his poetry, shaped his writing, and shaped his mm -hmm. sense of resistance to you know what he was being told, not only by the Serenity community but also his family. Um, you know, I think what we've discovered partly in you know these wonderful immigrant books that we're publishing is a lot of the memoirs tackle a common theme, which is the in, in immigrant communities that sense that we need to protect ourselves. Like we cannot stand out or go against the grain or, you know, like we, we certainly can't be queer 
um, you know, because then they will come for us, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, another book uh, kind of in this tradition is The Body Papers, uh, a memoir that won our writing prize by Grace Toulousan. And um, it was just a tremendous book. It won the Massachusetts Book Award after we published them. That was really nice to see. But um, so Anti-Man, uh, you know, it's, it's poetry and kind of essayistic forms and a travel narrative. And it just kind of tracks the evolution of this person who grew up in this really fraught crucible in Central Florida, kind of discovering himself, discovering his voice. Um, Rajiv himself is kind of a, uh, a queer rights activist. And um, it was just such a joy to work with him on that book. Um, on the fiction side, I would say, um, so we're publishing this book in October called Blood Red by the Ecuadorian writer, um, Gabriela Ponce. And um, it's just extraordinary. It's one of those books, I always feel a little bit strange talking about it as a straight man because it is the most intense bodily visceral investigation of um the female experience and it she writes in this kind of headlong surrealistic way and um it's about a woman essentially having a breakdown after her husband leaves her um but the writing is so exquisite um it's so I mean, I would, you blush as you read it, you gasp as you read it, like you, your heartbeat quickens. Like it is, it is so intense and wonderful and just like, wow, it's incredible that someone is doing this on the page. And, um, and yeah, and the, the brilliant translator who rendered it into English did such a beautiful job. Um, so really excited about that book that comes out in October. Yeah. Excellent. Um, those both sound great. I've written them down. Um, David, it's been so great to talk to you. Thank you so much for making the time. Well, thank you uh, for listening to me blather on and on um, <laughs> about books. <laughs> it's kind of what I do every day anyway. But um, yeah, it was a joy. I love what you guys are doing. I hope that more people contribute to the conversation. Thank you. We're hoping to have a, a restless title in our in one of our own clubs. Um, sometime soon. So, Exciting. I would, yeah. I would do blood red. Your okay. readers will not be disappointed. All right. All right. Thank you for that recommendation. <laughs> um, yeah. All right, Nathan, take care.